I'd like to give you a very warm welcome to our evening service here. Whether you're with us here in the building or joining us online, it's fantastic to have you with us. Uh, just a couple of announcements um, before we start. Um, just a reminder, we do have refreshments after the service this evening, so it'd be wonderful to have you all stay behind and to, to catch up with one another. Uh, the other thing is we have a prayer meeting here this coming Thursday. I'd encourage all of you to come and uh, be here and join in in prayer. It's so wonderful, isn't it, as a church to pray together over the things that are of a concern and for those to be um, rejoicing in and to be thankful for. Really good to come together as a church to pray. So I really encourage you um, to join us on Thursday. But also after the prayer meeting on Thursday, if any guys are about to help with the setup for the quiz night on Friday, it would be very much um, uh, welcomed. Um, so if you are about on Thursday, please um, come and help us with the setup for, for the quiz night. And speaking of the quiz night, we have it on Friday. So just a reminder to all of you guys who have got your teams, we have the, the quiz night on Friday. And I'm sure lots of us will be praying um, for that event this coming Thursday. So a couple of notices for you. I just want to start um, this evening with um, a couple of verses. And um, that's from Psalm 62. And it says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And I read that part of that song because I was thinking about what what I was speaking about this morning, about thankfulness, and I'm so thankful that God is my refuge and God is my salvation. And how many of us here can be thankful for that, that God is our refuge and he is our salvation? And I ask you that question, isn't it something to be thankful for and be rejoicing in? Um, if he is, it's wonderful. But I ask the question, if there's any of you here that don't know God, don't know Jesus, and he's not your rock and your salvation, then I ask the question, why not? Maybe ask that question tonight, um, to yourself, why is Jesus not my rock and my salvation? And I just really do pray for, for those that are here that, that don't have him as their rock and salvation, that maybe even tonight that you'll really listen to what you hear. Maybe it might be some of the verses in some of the songs that we sing. Think about who Jesus is and what he does for us. And I just pray, that's my deepest prayer, that he will be everybody's rock and salvation in this room. We're going to start by singing this, this evening our first song. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres, and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Please stand when the music starts.
reading this evening is um, from Psalms. Again, it's going to be from um, Psalm 16. If you're, you've got a, a church Bible with you, you can find that on page 453. If not, it will be up on the wall to follow along with. So, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. So we really look forward to um, hearing Mark open that psalm to us and the title is You Are My Lord and we're really looking forward to that a bit later on Mark. But before then we're going to sing um, our second song, My Worth Is Not In What I Own. But I just want to read the chorus to you. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in him no other, my soul is satisfied in him alone. And that is fantastic, isn't it? He is our greatest treasure, isn't he? Jesus is our greatest treasure. If we are Christians and we're true believers, he is our greatest treasure and our soul should only be satisfied in him alone. He's the only one that can truly satisfy us. So again, please stand when the music starts.
we come together now and let's pray to God. Almighty and Heavenly Father, we again thank you so much that we can call you our Heavenly Father. We thank you so much that that this great God that created all mankind and all this universe, Lord, calls us to him to be his people. Lord, we come before you as a, a God of love. And as we were just singing, we are so unworthy. Lord, we have nothing to, to give to you or to claim from you at all. Lord, we are but filthy um, rags that we wear upon our backs. Yet, because of what Christ did upon the cross, he took all that sinfulness and all that punishment that each one of us deserves, and he has taken it and put it upon his own shoulders upon the cross, and we thank you so much for that. Lord, we just come before you today, and we just really do pray that that you will help us to be more like you day by day. Lord, that you will help us and shape us and mould us. Lord, we... We still have that sinful heart. We still have that way about us where we want to do our own thing. But Lord, we just pray that that you help us and guide us and teach us day by day to be more like you. Lord, we thank you so much for, for that message that we heard this morning about you being the way, the truth and the life, Lord. And we know that no one can come to the Father except through you. And we thank you so much that you have made that channel clear for us to come to you now and to speak to you and to pray to you, and Lord, you hear and you answer our prayers, and we thank you so much for that. Lord, we just really pray that as this this Easter approaches us and we start to be having our minds drawn towards the cross, Lord, that you will help us to really think about the price that Jesus paid upon the cross, to seriously think about what he had to go through, the suffering, the anguish, knowing that his father would turn his face away from him, yet he still took that punishment. He still walked the the walk that we should have walked ourselves and paid the ultimate price of death upon the cross. We thank you for that. But Lord, we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus rose again. He conquered death so that sin can be dealt with at the end of our lives. Lord, we thank you so much that when the time comes for us to be with you again, we know through certainty, through what Jesus Christ has done, we can have an eternity with you. And we thank you so much. But we pray, Lord God, for the many that do not know you, the many that are walking in darkness. They haven't had your light shine upon them, Lord. We pray for them. We pray that even this day, this Easter approaching, that lives and souls will be saved that the light will shine into the darkness, that people will see Jesus for who he is, the saviour of the world. Lord, there will be many services and events that will be going on over the next few weeks leading up to Easter and invitations handed out. And we pray, Lord God, that, that you will work through them, that people will pick the invitations up, that they will come and that they will hear these clear messages and that their lives will be changed for good. Lord, we thank you so much that you are our greatest treasure. We thank you so much that this world can offer us so much, but we know it is nothing compared to the riches that we have laid up for us in heaven. But we pray for those that might be enticed by this world, that do not know you, do not know that treasure that you offer. They might think that the money, the fame and the wealth that this life asks is what they really truly want and what they long for. But Lord, we know that it's fleeting, that it fades and dies and passes by. And one day, each and every single one of us will have to give an account for ourselves and stand before our mighty God. And I just pray in that day, Lord, that that they will have you in their lives, that you will be their greatest treasure, that they would have put their trust in you. 
Lord, we thank you so much that we can find redemption through the cross. Lord, we thank you for for today. We thank you so much for our church here. We thank you for the many, many events and things that happen and go on uh, day by day here. We thank you for for the services this morning. We thank you for our Sunday school and the Rooted. It is so wonderful to see so many people come, so many children and teenagers. Lord, they come week by week, and again, we continue to pray for them. We pray for the children. We pray for the teenagers as they as they come and they listen and they hear. We just really pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their lives. We pray that their hearts will be set on fire for you. We pray, Lord God, that their eyes will be opened for the first time, that their stony hearts will be melted, and that they will begin to grow and know and love the Saviour for themselves. Lord, we pray for any in here tonight that might have hard hearts towards you, that might just come because um, parents make them, they might come just because it's been a tradition and out of routine. I just pray, Lord God, that you will be with them this evening, that you would work in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, open open their ears, open their hearts to, to what they hear, the message they hear tonight from Mark. May it be mighty, may it be powerful, and may it be spoken from you, and that it will bring glory from you. Lord, we thank you so much for all the people here that do so much. Lord, we think about the teachers, we think about those that do set up, those that work on all the electrical and the the PowerPoints here, the music. Lord, we're so thankful that there are so many people that are willing to give up so much time to serve you. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big job or a small job, it all furthers your kingdom and we thank you for that. Lord God, we pray again for for the um, First Tuesdays group that, that meets here um, once a month, Lord. We just really do continue to pray for the elderly folk. Lord, we just pray that you would work in their hearts, that you will soften hearts, that you will bring them to know you. Many of them have heard many, many messages now, Lord, and we just pray that you will work in their lives. Lord, we know that many don't have many more years ahead of them, maybe not many more months or weeks, And we just pray that that you will break into their hearts, that you will help them to see you for who you are, that great saviour. And we pray that they will know you as their precious treasure. We pray for for the First Steps group as well. It just thrills our heart to to hear of so many mums that come with their toddlers to that group. And we continue to pray for them. It's wonderful that they come and they sit in this building. There are so many things on the boards and leaflets and books that they can pick up and read. And we thank you so much that there are messages that are given at those events. But we pray for their hearts and their lives to be changed too. We pray, Lord God, that you'll be working um, through that group and that you'll bring those parents um, to know you. Lord, we pray for all those that helped with the setup and run that event. We know it's such a big event to to manage. And we thank you so much for, for the time and the effort that they put into that, and not just that, but the time that they put into the parents to get alongside them, and we thank you so much that they're willing to do this. So Lord God, do be with us now, we do pray. We pray that as we we hear Mark open up this psalm to us, that it would be you speaking to us through Mark, that the word that we hear tonight will be special to each and every single one of us, that we won't just sit and wander, our thoughts might um, wander about us, Lord, and think about other things, maybe things that are happening in the week, but no, they will be kept firm and steady and listening to what Mark has to say. Lord, we pray that as Mark brings this uh, message to us, Lord, that you would help him, that you would bless him, that you would speak through him, and it might be a blessing to each and every single one of us now. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, before Mark comes to um, speak to us, we're going to sing our, our third song. There is a hope. There is a hope that burns within my heart that gives me strength for every passing day. A glimpse of glory now revealed in meagre part, yet dries all doubt away. Please stand when the music starts. Psalms. Some of them are full of praise, some of them are instructional, some of them are very raw and real, some of them are gritty and yet glorifying. And they were written in so many different situations. You've got some that are celebrations, you've got some that are emergencies, you've got some that are quiet times of reflection. And so often, as you read them, the relationship between the writer and God is sort of laid bare before us. And in this psalm that we're looking at tonight, Psalm 16, 
you can really see that. We'll see tonight the intimate relationship that David has with God. No one else is involved in this psalm. You don't hear any other voices like you sometimes do. There's no accusers or anything like that. It's just David and God. I wonder if you were to write a psalm. Imagine that you were creatively gifted and you were to write a psalm. And it accurately depicted your relationship with God. I wonder what you'd say. What would you say about God in your psalm? What would you say about yourself in your psalm? What would the tone of the psalm be? Would you be able to say anything at all? Well, in the psalm tonight, Psalm 16, David exalts in God. He enjoys God. He shows us what life is like when you live it with God. Some of the Psalms, as I've said, are written in emergency situations and you get that and David or whoever it is is crying out to the Lord. This is not that sort of Psalm. We don't know exactly the circumstances when it was written, but there's this sort of quiet, reflective, settled confidence and joy throughout this psalm. There's a sense of trusting God throughout this psalm. Some of you have experienced the the storms of life and, and you know what it is to truly cry out from the depths. And some of you as well know what it is to maybe have got through those times and to be able to stop And remember and reflect on the goodness of God. And to just stop and enjoy him. And that's what David does in this psalm. I didn't choose this psalm to fit in with uh, last Sunday at all. But as I've been sort of thinking about it, meditating on it, it's just so many themes that fit in really well with both last week, but also some of the other themes that we've been thinking about recently. So I hope it does us good to look at it. So, let's have a look at it. Firstly, I take refuge in you. I haven't got headings as such tonight. What I've done is sort of picked phrases or bits out of the psalm, and we'll go through it like that. And hopefully by the end we'll have almost a bit of a psalm there for us. Firstly, I take refuge in you, verse 1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So he starts off, preserve me, or watch over me, or keep me, keep me safe. As I've already said, we don't know the exact circumstances of this psalm. We don't know exactly what he's saying to be preserved from. But he totally understands that his safety in life and death depends entirely on God. And so he says, I find my refuge in you. He runs to God for his place of safety. For his shelter. You know, it's something we've heard before, isn't it? Many of us, you know, God is our refuge. But it really struck me, particularly in the light of last week, as we were thinking about the holiness of God, uh, when we saw that demonstration against Uzzah. And do you remember David's response, if you were there? And he says, how can, how can the ark come to me? 
How can I possibly live in the presence of God? And yet here he understands that actually, when he has that right relationship with God, his presence is the safest place to be. You know, for God's people, God's presence is actually the only place of safety. Where do you run for safety? When life gets tough, where do you run? When you get attacked or criticised by other people. When you're bombarded by temptations. When fears start creeping up on you. When the devil tells you that Jesus would never accept someone like you. Where do you run for safety? Is God your refuge? God was David's refuge. That's where he ran for safety. And as we go through this psalm, we see more and more of why David can say that so confidently. This psalm, it builds and builds right to the end. You are my master, verse 2. It might be not immediately clear why I say that. So verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now, if you're eagle-eyed, you'll notice that the first Lord in that, if you've got it open, is in all capital letters. And the second Lord is uh, just a capital L. And it's not a typo. It's not that the writers sort of thought, well, we're, we're changing it up a little bit. Uh, so just a quick lesson for those of you who don't know. Some of you will know this, but for those who don't, if Lord is in all capitals, L-O-R-D, it's all capitals, it's talking about God's special name here. It's the name Yahweh. It's the special name that he revealed to Moses. He said, this is my name. The second Lord, where it's just a capital L, and all the other letters are lowercase, is Adonai. And that basically means master. Master. So David's basically saying here, God, the God of Moses, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, you are my master. That's what he's saying here. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. God, you are my master. He's saying, in life, I'm not the boss. I'm not in charge. God is. I wonder if you can say that tonight. I'm not in charge of my life. God is. You know, it's not something that comes naturally to us. Naturally, we want to be our own master. You know, part of repentance is actually saying, you know what, I'm not going to be my own king. I'm going to hand my life over to you, Jesus. And maybe you say, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to willingly give my life over to be under a master? Well, Romans 6 shows us that actually if we're not under the mastership of God, then we're under the mastership of sin. And David is going to show us in this psalm, why being uh, having God as our master is just the best thing. Why well, it's such a good thing. He loves having God as his master. In the second part of verse 2, he says, I have no good apart from you. It's hard to know exactly what he's saying here. There's lots of different opinions. But it seems to be saying that whatever goodness he has in life, whatever goodness he has in himself... It's a gift from God. God is a source of all good and all good things. Everything that is going on around us that is good is from God. 
And we see as well how um, this affects his view of other people as well. Other people who are God's children. So how does he feel about other people? Well, we see in verse 3, I delight in the saints. I delight in the saints. Verse 3 says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So what is he talking about here? Well, the saints are the people of God. doesn't mean they're perfect. When we think of saints, we don't have to think perfection. They're worshippers of God in the Old Testament in, in this part. In the New Testament, uh, we'd call them Christians. Saints. And his delight, in fact, all his delight is in them. And when I was making notes for this, when I was sort of starting my prep, the, the question that immediately popped into my head is, well, how can all his delight be in the saints? Shouldn't all his delight be in God? Surely that would make more sense. But you see, God's people... Christians are trophies of God's grace. They're God's gift to us, to each other. We're a gift to each other. God gives us to each other to bless and support and love each other. And you know, when we delight in each other, what are we actually doing? Well, actually, we're bringing glory to God. We're delighting in his gift, and that brings glory to God. You know, other Christians aren't always the easiest to love, are they? can be frustrating and irritating. And sadly, all of us, including myself, can be very guilty of those things. But you know, when we love God, there should be a love for each other. And as we love each other more and more, it should result in loving God more and more. Why are the saints... Such a special gift to David. Why are the saints, other Christians, such a special gift to us? Well, we can worship together, can't we? So tonight we can come together, we can sing together, we can read together, we can learn together, we can pray together. You know, you can do all those things by yourself. But there's something special, isn't there, about coming together, about worshipping together as God's people. What else? Well, we can keep each other accountable. Having good, wise friends that are happy to challenge us, point us back to Jesus. You know, that's a special gift. We might not appreciate it at the time. But it's a special gift when you've got friends who point you back towards God. Having others that can comfort you as well. Many of us have known that, haven't we, in this church? You're going through a a tough time and others gather around, they help you. They support you in all sorts of different ways when you're going through it. One of the main things I've heard about the the women's event yesterday is just how much you all enjoy being together, those of you that were there. It's good, isn't it? Delighting in the saints, it's great. You know, if we find our love for other saints growing cold, we need to get out the thermometer in our relationship with God. Because if our love for other people is getting cold, then it's almost certain that our relationship with God is suffering. David delighted in the saints. So David loves the goodness of God. He rejoices in the saints. But the contrast with verse 4 couldn't be greater. I'm not going to say a huge amount about this. But verse 4 says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. 
Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. You know, David delights in the saints. He loves thinking about them, but he won't even name those who are pagan worshippers, those who make pagan sacrifices. You know, David has been showered with the goodness of God, and yet he says those who chase after another God, well, their sorrows will multiply. You know, it's a strong warning to us, isn't it? If we chase any other gods, any other thing other than God, our sorrows will multiply. Some of us heard someone share their story this week where that was the case. Some of us have known it in our own lives where we've chased other things and it's led to multiplied sorrows. It's a, it's a strong warning to us. Chase God. Chase God alone. Then in verse 5, David says, you sustain me. You sustain me. It actually says, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. It's as if he's saying here, the Lord is my food and drink. He's the one who satisfies me. He's the one who nourishes me. He's the one who fills me with good things. In Psalm 23, he says, my cup overflows. Sometimes you get it, don't you? Well, if you're like me anyway, where you go to a restaurant maybe, or you go to, maybe you get, say, um, a takeout meal, say a ready meal or something, and uh, you look at the portion size, You think, well, that's not going to do much. I may have to get something on the way home. You know, that's not how David feels with God. David doesn't sort of feel like, well, I'll have God, but I could do with a little bit extra. I need a bit more sort of topping up. No, David is completely satisfied. God is the one who keeps him going. God is the one who sustains him. Isaiah 40, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. David knew that to be true for himself. God sustained him. But also, he says, you are my inheritance. You are my inheritance. It's the second half of uh, verse 5. You hold my lot. And in verse 6, the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Well, when I was uh, doing my notes again, right at the beginning, sort of trying to work out what's going on in this psalm a bit more, one of the questions I wrote down is, what's it talking about when it talks about Lot? And when it talks about these lines that have fallen in pleasant places in inheritance, what's that sort of talking about? Well, these are some of the words that were used when God was giving the promised land to his people, Israel. It's the sort of language used. And no doubt, uh, David is very thankful for the land that he's in, that he's inherited. But I think David is using that as picture language, really, of all the good things that God has given to him. He is thanking God for all the good gifts he's given him and for giving him God himself. You know, David recognises that he's been so incredibly blessed by God and he's thankful for it. He recognises how beautiful and how wonderful it is. Back when the, the promised land was split up amongst the tribes, the, the priests weren't actually given any plot of land for themselves. They were told something different. They were told that God himself will be your inheritance. And now David's saying that's true for him. 
God will be his inheritance. But all the blessings that brings. And David calls it a beautiful inheritance. Do you recognise all the blessings that God gives you in your life? Is it something that you thank God for? Are you able to look back and say, God has blessed me so much. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. It's good to look back and to thank God for himself and for all the good things he gives. Then in verse 7 he says, you are my counsellor. You are my counsellor. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. You know, David knew that he needed counsel. Is that something we know that we need? I did the uh, ACE talk on Friday night. And I did it on that verse where it talks about, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, because that's what Israel had done after they'd been resur- um, sorry, after they'd been rescued from Egypt. God had done amazing things for them, amazing miracles. They'd been rescued, and they were going through a bit of a, a tough time. And suddenly, they just stopped listening to God. They hardened their hearts. Their hearts were like stone. Is that what your hearts are like? I don't need God's counsel. I'm not going to listen. You know, David sees God's counsel as something to be so thankful for. He sees it as such a blessing. God's wise instruction. We saw last week, didn't we, a pretty extreme example of what can happen if you don't follow God's wise counsel. Who do you turn to for counsel in your life? Friends? Google, a therapist, you know, all of those things can be very, very helpful. But they can be dangerous if they give us bad counsel. You know, sometimes counsel can sound very good, very attractive, but actually it's incredibly dangerous. If you don't believe me, just look at what the serpent said to Eve in Genesis 3. But David praises God that he is his counsellor. He's the wonderful counsellor that we read about in Isaiah 9. And he says as well, in the night also my heart instructs me. Because at night, sometimes problems seem greater, don't they? In the darkness, when you can't do anything about it. When you're not busy doing other things, issues can get bigger. We can fret over things. Worries grow. You know, if we soak up God's word during the day, as it were, if we have his counsel sort of inside us, then it's as if our heart or our insides kind of inject this sort of wisdom and counsel into us to guide us and to calm us at night. You know, spend the days soaking up the counsel of God so that your night times can be peaceful. It says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Notice what he's done there. It's a decision that he's made. I've set the Lord always before me. 
It's a choice. Why has he done that? Well, if you set something in front of you, it's sort of in your line of sight, isn't it? You can always see it. You're not going to forget it because you set it in front of you. And also, it's easier to follow. You can follow wherever he leads. Now, obviously, I wasn't there yesterday, but I heard that Rosie at breakfast yesterday morning uh, was saying that she has a wall in her home with verses on it. And one of the, the key things she's got is a banner that says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And she says it helps her keep her eyes on Jesus, keep God ever before her so that she always remembers it. And David says, that's what I do. I keep God before me. And he says, because of that, I will not be shaken. Verse 8, I will not be shaken. It says, God is with me, and so nothing can shake me. Not even death itself, as we're about to see, can shake David. And this gives him immense happiness. Immense happiness. He says, uh, verse 9, therefore, so because of that, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My whole being rejoices. I remember someone who came to speak at our Cardiff Christian Union a few years ago now, and he was speaking about deep joy. And I just remember him saying, you know, he said, some people have joy so deep that it never reaches their face. And I thought, it's sad, isn't it? Because that's not David's experience. David's experience of, of joy, well, it was so deep down that it just radiated through every part of him. He says, my whole being rejoices. It's a bit how like he was feeling last week, isn't it? When he had that joy and it just sort of radiated through him and he ended up dancing before the ark. His whole being was rejoicing. You know, when we're glad, it should impact our whole body. There should be this joy that radiates through us. Now, I said at the, uh, the beginning that this psalm, it builds. And this really is what it's been building up to, particularly this next part, verse 10, where David says, you will not abandon my soul. You will not abandon my soul. So just second half of verse 9, my flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or the, the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. David says, my flesh dwells securely. He, he lives in his body with a great deal of security. Why? Well, verse 10, because he knows that God will not abandon him, even to the grave. You know, somehow David knows and understands that God will not abandon him even after death. John Fuller said, helpfully in his children's talk this morning, didn't he? He said, even if my life ended tomorrow, I know I'd be with Jesus. Sort of same idea as what David is saying here. Even death cannot separate us. So David and John have ultimate security because nothing can separate them from God. God will not abandon us. There's a bit of a puzzle here as we get to the end of verse 10. So it says, For you will not abandon my soul to shield to the grave, or let your holy ones see corruption, or we may say decay. But David did die. 
and his body did decay. So has David got it wrong? Has he kind of made a bit of an error here? Well, thankfully, this is one of those puzzles that the Bible itself helps us sort out and explains. Peter tells us what's going on in Acts 2. He says, look, we know this can't be talking about David, this, that line about let your holy one see corruption or decay. We know it can't be talking about David because we've still got his tomb with us today. So it's not talking about David. What's going on here? Peter says, David is prophesying here about Jesus rising again. So we might read it now with our 21st century knowledge. God will not let his Holy One, Jesus, decay. And he didn't, did he? Because what happened? Jesus died and then three days later, Jesus rose again. And then what happened? He rose again. to Where he ascended, sorry, to glory. So he died three days later, rose again and ascended into glory. His body did not experience corruption or decay. And if you think Peter's getting a bit carried away here, is that really what it means? Well, Paul says the same thing when he's speaking to those at Antioch and he's telling them about the resurrection. He says, look, David prophesied about this. David looks forward to a day when one of his descendants will not be conquered by death. And it gives him great confidence that he too will be able to conquer death. And so just as David looked forward in a sort of a gloom, not really knowing quite what it would look like. But as he looked forward, we look back through history to Jesus. We get to look, as it were, with full technicolour vision. 8K vision. Jesus on the cross. David could only imagine it. You know, it's funny. This morning, John uh, asked us, talking about the great I am statements of Jesus and he asked us about the question you know have we got too used to these grand statements do we perhaps need to be a bit shaken up to realize just how amazing these are some of us were talking about it briefly at 20s and 30s lunch but David says here it says it's because of those grand statements these grand statements that he's been making that he's feeling so deeply that he will never be shaken He will never be shaken. Yesterday, we finalised the flyer for Easter, Easter Sunday. As uh, John reminded us as well this morning, Easter's coming up quick, it's not long now. How are you feeling about it? Is it just another date in the diary? Just another thing to do? Maybe it's a busy time for you, it is for a lot of people, and you're sort of you're desperately trying to get your diaries planned and sorted out and getting work done and things delegated and all those things. Or as we look forward to Easter, if we know Jesus has died for us, are we looking forward to it with a sense of anticipation, with a sense of rejoicing? Because it's the time when we remember that because of Jesus, we too will conquer death. That he will bring us along in the resurrection. It's a time of triumph, not just for Jesus, but for us. And isn't that good news for those of us who have lost loved ones? Loved ones who know Christ, that we can say yes. They're raised with Christ. 
You know, but it's not simply that God doesn't abandon us. It's not just that God keeps us with him, as it were. Listen to what life is like in his presence. I love this. This is verse 11. You give me joy and eternal pleasure. This is what it says. You make known to me the path of life. That's what we were celebrating this morning, isn't it? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what life is like with God. This is what David's enjoying already and looking forward to. This is why his whole being's rejoicing. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, sometimes we can think, can't we, that the Bible never speaks positively about pleasure. But the truth is that the Bible warns us that other things might bring short-term pleasure. But the Bible says, look up. Look up because it will lead to sorrows. But the Bible says, following God might not be easy. But look up. Look up because it leads to pleasure forevermore. You know, God wants to satisfy us more than we've ever been satisfied. He wants to bless us more than we've ever been blessed. He wants to fill us with joy so that we can't contain it anymore. That's what God wants for us. You know, it's better to spend one day in the court of Jesus than a thousand days anywhere else. And don't you think this is an encouragement for those of you who have lost loved ones into his presence? This is what they're enjoying. Fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. They're enjoying their inheritance. And I just wonder as I finish, what about us? Do we exult in God? Do we leave this psalm looking at all those things, just exulting in God, enjoying God? Well, if we've understood what David has been saying here, then we will do. We're going to sing a song. In some ways, it's almost like a sort of modern day Psalm 16, I think, in some ways. And uh, it's what is our hope in life and death. And the third verse particularly, I think, is so powerful. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ he lives. Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy. When Christ is ours forevermore. Let's stand and sing.
Thank you for David's experience of you, for the way you blessed him and for the way he exalted in you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do the same. Lord, for those of us who know your goodness, may we exult in it. May our whole being rejoice. Lord, for those who don't know your goodness, for those of you who have never known what it is to know you as their Lord, Lord, I pray that you'd work in their heart. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Break them, Lord. Show them that they need you. And Lord, may they too come to rejoice at the goodness of you. May they too come to enjoy an eternity in your presence, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we pray that we would go away from this place rejoicing in who you are. And Lord, do keep us safe. Lord, we thank you for the joy of meeting together. Lord, do keep us safe and bring us back together again. In your name. Amen.